Hello? You play to win the game. I mean, listen, we're talking about practice. Not a game, not a game, not a game. We're talking about practice. To LeBron James! That was insane! Officially insane, LeBron James! What's up? Hello and welcome back to Studio C. Yes, our second video edition. I'm here with my wonderful crew here for Claws to the Wall. This is Justin Brown alongside J.P. Flanagan, Thomas Terry, and the wonderful Orlando Smart. And we're back in action to talk about Texas State and some national sports, but we're going to start here in Hayes County and talk about Texas State baseball, who played here home over the weekend over the Arkansas State Red Wolves. And that game... I mean, that entire series, it was kind of a, a, a close one for the Bobcats. Arkansas State Red Wolves coming into this series hadn't had a Sunbelt Conference win all season. And the Bobcats, they lost that second game. But let's talk about the three games. First game, they win 8-7 to seven in 10 innings. The second game, they lose 4-5. to five. And Sunday, they win 7-6. to six. Guys, what did y'all see in this series? You know, I saw some really timely hitting in that last game with Cade Manning. He did great two for three at bats, but some unexpected hitting from Jose Gonzalez. He's been cold. And, you know, I just want to know what are y'all's thoughts on this team and why do they struggle so much against a, uh, a lower ranked Sunbelt conference opponent like Arkansas state? Well, they came into the game. I mean, they got off to an early lead and got up five zero, but um, Arkansas State, that is a gritty team. They they haven't had the best record all season. They're only 9-16, and 16, but a lot of their games have been close. A lot of the games uh, is just a, a team that's shown resiliency. So, I mean, they, they were able to claw their way back into it and make it a one-score game. But Texas State was able to close out the, the series with a win. So, I mean, it just kind of shows that, like, the better team kind of was able to you know, handle what they were able to do. Just handled their business and do what they needed to do because it kind of it kind of got it was a nail biter there at the end until Texas State was able to kind of knock them out of there. Yeah, going back to the uh, first game, I was able to produce that first game. Um, just talking about how they probably struggled. You know, looking at a team like you said, Orlando, a team that is not that good coming into the game. You think of these like gimme games. And it is entirely possible, as we've seen, to overlook these teams who are still worthy opponents. All of them are worthy, worthy opponents, but just kind of, you know, just sleep on them like it's supposed to be handed to you. Now, not accusing them of that, you know, saying that they did that, but it happens to the best of us, you know, teams as good as we are who hit the ball as good as we are kind of just underestimated opponents. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, we all talk about how high expectations we have for this team. I mean, we wanted this to be kind of like a, a gimme game and, you know, walk through, walk in the park. Um, but really, Texas State never had like an uphill or really that advantage that we were looking to see. I mean, you, you had just mentioned that Jose Gonzalez went cold and luckily they were able to escape with two wins, although he was cold for the weekend. Um, but shout out to Ben McLean for really kind of sealing the series in that first game with the RBI that that uh, gave us the win eight to seven. So I mean, yeah, I mean, you'd like to see, you know, more polished team at this point, you know, getting to dominate some teams that are struggling in conference right now. But, I mean, to, to walk away with the series 2-1, you can't be too disappointed, and you got to use it as a learning experience, and hopefully that leads to more success down the road. Yeah, and JP, I'm glad you mentioned that first game that Texas State was able to win because that was Coach Trout's 100th win as a Bobcat, um, or as a Bobcats head coach. And so that game was just to win that game in extra innings like that and in a walk-off fashion like that, it was just amazing for the team. And I wasn't able to watch the game, but just hearing Kyle Owen on the call was just 
he was he did an amazing job. So I want to give a shout out to Kyle for that call, and another shout out to Coach Trout for his hundredth win as a as the Texas State Bobcat head coach. Yeah, a hundred wins is not an easy feat to do it, and he's doing it faster than any other Bobcat coach previously. And uh, yes, just a really really fun series to watch here at home in San Marcos. The one thing I want to add is that you know in that loss that the Bobcats did have, it was Kyler Car uh, Kyler. Let me get this right. Tyler Karnak, um, and he was an amazing pitcher for this Arkansas State Red Wolves team. And, I mean, he had five strikeouts. And, sorry, his name's Carler, Kyler Carmack, bro. I'm having a stroke out here, guys, right now. <laughs> Check me. Am I am I foaming at the mouth? Um, but, yeah, so four, uh, five strikeouts and six innings played. I mean, this guy had a curveball I've never seen before. Uh, the baseball team was not able to get a hit on that one. But, yeah, Coach Trout getting his 100th win, and they're doing it in the right time because this week, I mean, they have a tough week ahead of them. They're going to be playing College Station, yes, Texas A&M. They're going to be playing them April 4th, Tuesday at 6 p.m. That's going to be an away game. That's going to be an exciting one. The Bobcats have only won two times in the past 10 years against A&M. And then upcoming, if you look at down the road, April 10th and 11th, they are going to be playing against UT Longhorns. What is this team going to have to do, especially they're in Sunbelt Conference play now, but how do, how does playing against a team like A&M and UT down the road help your team improve? I mean, it helps just because this is a team that has faced a lot of very tough opponents. Now, just looking at their, their overall record, they're 17 and 11, and, I mean, they haven't necessarily done well against these ranked opponents. They've played number 14, Louisville, number 24, Tech. They've played LSU, who's ranked number one, Tennessee, Texas. They've played a lot of these teams and haven't done well. But just that experience against some of these tough top-ranked teams will go a long way. And so that's something Texas State's really going to have to take into, a, into account going into this game because, I mean, they even were able to get a win against that number one-ranked LSU team in that series. So Texas State's... This is w the same way that Texas State is going to need to like use this game as like an experience. That's kind of what Texas A&M has been using all season, just being an SEC team. They play a lot of tough teams. Yeah, and uh, I'm glad you covered A&M because I don't really like talking about them that much. But <laughs> looking ahead to that game against UT, you know, UT had just came off of, I believe, before the loss to Oklahoma State, they were on like a 16 or 17 game win streak. So being able to match up against a team like that kind of puts your best against their best. It helps you to tune up and get ready to play your other opponents that you'll play in your own conference. Like I said before, it's almost like a reversal of the tape, how we were talking about how Texas State might have overlooked Arkansas State coming into this game because of the record. Well, <clears throat> the same thing could be happening with UT right now. Even though our record isn't as bad or Texas State's record isn't as bad as Arkansas State's, they are probably looking at us, you know, non-Power 5, all of that. Oh, you know, it's just another walk in the park. But let's not forget what happened last year. Yeah, absolutely. And then uh, to just further mention A&M a little bit there, um, they had a rough start to the season, dropping a game to Portland and dropping a game to Lamar early. And you thought, you know, a team wouldn't be able to, you know, bounce back from something like that. But, you know, they played some tough opponents and they just finished a series with Ole Miss where they were able to win two of those three. So, I mean, they're, walk they're going into this game with some confidence, you know, a Texas State team that isn't doing too, too, too hot, but, you know, still a team that, you know, has admirations to go far. So this will be a game to really test both teams. How far behind is A&M? How far ahead is Texas State? And then this will be a good, you know, preparation for that UT game, as you mentioned, um, a team that has kind of gotten the rhythm, a team that had high expectations going into the season for, you know, a far run, but kind of started off kind of slow. So this will be a really good weekend just to see how this team matches up against the higher level of competition and how this will, you know, look forward down the, down the line. 
yes, the Texas State Bobcats will be playing against some really tough teams, and you know it'll be a testament to see how good they are doing right now before you know continuing Sun Belt play. And they start their road trip this Tuesday, April fourth, and they'll be playing at Texas A&M at six p.m. as we mentioned. But they will have a series for Thursday, Friday, Saturday series against South Alabama. That'll be April sixth through the eighth, and that will be in Mobile, Alabama. But they will be coming back home, and the first game they're home will be April 10th, as we mentioned, against UT. That game will be at San Marcos, Texas, at the Bobcat Ballpark at 6 p.m. That game will be a must-go-to game if you're a Texas State student. I think that's going to be everyone's on, I, on everyone's itinerary. I bet it's going to be a packed house, so definitely go and support the Bobcats if you can. Now, one team that doesn't need your support because they're really hot right now, and they were hot over the weekend, and that's the Texas State softball team as they went away and they faced App State and got a series sweep over them. Guys, this softball team, you know, really had a tough, a tough, uncharacteristic loss, I believe, um, in that series previous that they had against South Alabama. And um, you know, this 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 team this team right now, guys, they, they need some consistency. I've heard people call them consistently inconsistent. Um, I don't know if that's or is that Orlando's words or Thomas's yeah, words. I got that was me though. Yeah, I I'll may have just quoted you there. Yeah, for but yeah, sure. So let's look at their previous games. You know, App State. I mean, against App State, they won seven to two Sunday, three to one Saturday, four to three Friday, and they lost that game against Baylor, which was a close one. That's a number twenty-one ranked team nationally. But guys, what are your thoughts on the softball team right now and how they able to bounce back from adversity? I mean, well. Am I, it's kind of looking like they're starting to find their their footing a little bit after that loss to that that Baylor team. It was it was like that was a very hard fought game for the Bobcats, and then even right before that, that was kind of when that that South Alabama series was kind of what made me say where that that phrase kind of came from. Just because all year they've been kind of up and down, up and down, but kind of doing the same things um, throughout the year. But that South Alabama series, I really thought they were going to – that was going to be kind of the turning point after that 6-2 win. They ended up losing, getting completely shut out and losing 7-0. And I was just – I was I was not expecting that at all. So that having two losses back-to-back with them being able to bounce back like they did against Appalachian State, which is the Sun Belt Conference team, um, I mean, which is – really where the season really boils down to how well do you play in your conference because once that conference um, tournament comes up that's what really really matters so playing a team like that it's they want to you kind of want to take care of like the lower ranked teams in the conference because it's looking at App State's record they're one and six in the Sun Belt so handling your business is really what you got to do is you can only face who's in front of you so taking care of those teams uh, it'll set you up for the the higher ranked teams. Yeah, coming back from uh, Boone, North Carolina, there against Appalachia State. Um, I think you also said it as well, Orlando, that this team doesn't drop many games without coming back and winning more. And I think that's where you got that (laughs) inconsistently consistent turn from because that's that's true. But it's not a lot of times you see this uh, Texas State Bobcats softball team go cold from the plate getting shut out like that, especially when you have four hitters hitting over 300. Hannah Earls hitting, I think, over 360 right now. That's still – that is marvelous hitting. So it's not a lot of times you're going to go scoreless from the plate like that, and I think they showed that against Appalachian State, and that's exactly what you need against Southern Miss to continue to be on fire at the bat. Yeah, I mean, and prior to this um, series away with Appalachian State, we, uh, Texas State was only 1-4 in, in conference, so that was something – that I thought was just kind of mind-boggling, saying that they've been able to compete with some of the highest level of competition, um, like a Kansas or like a 
um, Wisconsin or Alabama and Texas, and, and why haven't they not been able to perform against maybe these teams that we consider maybe lower level? Um, so, yeah, f agreeing with you, Orlando, just trying to find consistency um, and really just, you know, trying to find a consistency on the pitching end of things because I feel like outside of Jessica Mullins, it's kind of been a rough year. But, I mean, these last three games with uh, Tori McCann and um, – the other pitcher on on Friday, I think that this team is trying to build on that, and that can be uh, beneficial going down the line. I will also say, just like the baseball team going up against Southern Miss, they are currently on an eleven game skid right now. So, you know, we have to, or they have to try not to overlook the opponent once again and be ready to come out and fight and get that win. And you, but, you know, you speak about this opponent. You know, the last two time, the last time these two teams met, it was actually a long time ago, and you can't imagine where these two teams met. Tech State and Southern Miss, they played against each other in 2006, and that was February 9th, and that was in Hawaii. <laughs> Hawaii. Wow. Yeah, neutral game site, and that wow. was the last time these two teams faced in the Bobcats. They, they got a huge win, 9-0 win over this team. But, yeah, you know, you know, they need some – this is what you want to see right before going against Southern Miss, a, game, a team that's on an 11-game losing streak, as you mentioned. I mean, if you're Southern Miss right now, you're thinking, oh, we just lost 11, and this team just went out and booned and <laughs> – just really got a huge sweep. So that's something you're really not looking forward to seeing if you're Southern Miss. But, Orlando, I didn't mean to interrupt you there. If you had a, a – Oh, no, you're good. I was just going to say, uh, like, kind of piggybacking off what Thomas said about the 11-game losing streak there. They haven't won a single conference game this season. So um, the Bobcats definitely don't want to be the first team to give them a win in the conference. They want to – this is – like I kind of mentioned earlier that you kind of want to handle the lower-ranked teams and kind of prepare you that way when you play in those higher ranked teams a, a sweep isn't kind of just yeah. going to necessarily kill you if you sweep the lower lower ranked teams so that, yeah. and yeah. Um, sometime next week they play Texas again yeah. uh, which i think Texas has them kind of marked you know a team that they got to beat previously um you know they're trying to get their revenge story on on a bobcat team that you know has been inconsistent and you know trying to make up for you know that previous loss yeah you know and and just one thing i would have to say before going into the southern miss series you know, if you see that a team's on an 11-game losing streak, many athletes may say, oh, this is just going to be a walk in the park. We can just walk in there, do our thing. That can't be the mindset going into this at all. And, and, and you know, and you need that reliability from Jessica Mullins. We saw in that game Sunday from last weekend when they played in South Alabama, and it was a game where there was more errors than I've ever seen from a softball team. Jessica Mullins made some uncharacteristic errors. And one thing I'd like to say before going into this series is Jessica Mullins, she's doing great things in her junior year. I mean, she's fourth in ERA in Texas State history with a 1.78. I mean, that's ridiculously low. Um, she has 108 bat appearance. I mean, 108 mount appearances, which is eighth all time, sixth for win, tenth for shutouts with 11 of her own, and and this is all in her junior year. So she's doing amazing things. We talk about Hannah Earls. She's doing amazing. She's leading the team right now. She already has. She's also leading with 57 stolen bases, which is very insane. Third all time on the the entire list. And um, yeah, they're, they're, you know this is really in a good team so far. They're they're currently 23 and 14 and one, so you know it's kind of midseason, I would say, coming coming towards the later half of it, and uh, they're going to have to win against Southern Miss if they want to maintain this momentum, and it would be great to do so before UT because you know that these two teams are definitely looking forward to that matchup as well as we absolutely, you know. yeah, man. I mean the Southern Miss. I mean, if this isn't a team that can, because I mean, I'm just kind of looking at it. We were kind of saying they don't want to overlook this team, and but this is a team. Not only are they losing, they're losing pretty bad. They've been outscored, um, if my math is correct, around 74 
to like 15 in these Sunbelt games. And in the, in the nine Sunbelt games they played in their 74 to like 14 and 15 is insane. They <laughs> by 60 runs is crazy. Like they're literally losing these games in early innings, um losing games 12 to 1, 10 to 2, 17 to 9, 3 to 11. I mean, there's a lot of big losses in the, for uh, in that losing streak for the for Southern Miss, so the Bobcats definitely need to go in with their their head on straight and not overlook this team cuz this is a team you can't really drop a game to. A hundred percent. I completely agree with you, Orlando. And we'll just get to the meat and potatoes, the details of these games. The Bobcats will be facing Southern Miss April 6th at 6 p.m. That will be here in San Marcos. And they will also be playing at 4 p.m. Friday and then 11 a.m. on Saturday. We will have a broadcast of that series on KTSW 89.9. And the game that we will have on air is, let me check my schedule here to make sure I'm completely correct. That game will be, there's some Jeopardy music going on in here. Sorry guys, it is 6 p.m. on Thursday. That will be on air and you can hear Kobe Jackson and Joey Gonzalez on the call. So make sure and tune into that one. But let's zoom out of Hayes County and let's talk about some national sports news. And um, we had a huge NCAA championship game just finish up last night. One that many would say is not the most fun for viewers to watch because it was really just kind of a blowout win, if I could say. Uh, UConn versus San Diego State. Now, I was busy doing intramural broadcasts for the wonderful KTSW Sports YouTube Live with Thomas Terrier and J.B. Flanagan. They were also on the call for some of those games. So we didn't get to watch it necessarily. But, Thomas, you s- I see you sitting up in your seat right now. You you want to say something about this game. Yeah, I thought you were talking about the biggest game going on in Texas last night. Team Hemothy going up against Team Avalanche at 10 <laughs> oh, o'clock. Get out of here. Yeah, I was about to say, team Bounce a, versus Team 512 Dogs. That was oh. a lot more exciting as someone who wasn't, who wasn't at either one of them but had the opportunity to watch both um because uh, you guys had that one on youtube and obviously the national championship was televised and i was tuned in to you guys <laughs> no one i was not really cared about uconn or north dakota state um uh, uconn has kind of been here we were kind of expecting them to win just especially the way they had been playing through the tournament they had been blowing everybody out so and it wasn't surprising wasn't very interesting to me <laughs> what do you guys think like, yeah i mean i'm i'm a little I have mixed emotions about this because I'm also a Longhorn basketball fan. I'm a fan of their coach and everything and the players and how they play Shout basketball. Shout out Rodney Terry for sure. Oh, most definitely, most definitely. But seeing UConn just steamroll the opponents, especially steamrolling Miami and then steamrolling San Diego State, that makes me think, you know, I feel like Texas could have put up a better fight than that. But, you know, UConn earned it. I will give them that. They played some great basketball, and you can't fault them for just being good (laughs) being too good so congratulations to them i think that is what is that five championships since 1999 yeah pretty impressive they're definitely just engraved themselves as a blue blood in in college in the college basketball world and i mean i don't know how this team kind of went so under the radar going into the tournament they won 14 games going into the tournament and with wins over iowa state alabama you know some quality wins and i I don't know how that went under the radar so so long but i mean this uconn team fought so much adversity in the tournament they had to play in the las vegas region and they had a lot of mishaps happen Uh, a few of their players got food poisoning Um, a few of their players actually had some of their equipment stolen from their site and then uh, they actually had to switch hotels midway through so props to uh coach hurley for keeping his guys in check and you know uh fighting adversity not really backing down but you know a team that really 
uh, going into this game, you could have anticipated it was going to get the blowout. I mean, you would have liked it to be in a better fashion. But, um, yeah, I mean, and UConn has won their last three championships all in Houston. So uh, I don't know what they have with Houston, but if, they, if any time they play in Houston, you got to think they're going to win. You know, I think you just let out a little factoid for betters all across America. Like, next time they see UConn playing in Houston, they're just going to be like, no. <laughs> JP Flanagan told me to bet, <laughs> so I'm going to bet $200. You know, little fun fact, what I will say about the San Diego State team is I loved watching them play against Florida Atlantic. They would they were down 13 points, 14.58 remaining in the second half, and I'm like, I've never bet money on a game in my life, but I'm low-key feeling this San Diego State team, the way they were having that momentum, I was like, I could just drop $200 on this team right now. <laughs> if I would have done that and they had that buzzer beater win, I don't even I wouldn't even be here right now. I'd probably be you know, <laughs> 10 grand richer and on an island right now. Um, but you know, now I'm here, uh, <laughs> but what I will <laughs> 10 say, grand in debt. <laughs> 10 yeah, grand right. in debt after betting <laughs> incorrectly on yesterday's game. Um, I was betting on team, uh, you know, team Himothy's. Yeah. Well, they got, they actually won. So, <laughs> um, what I will say though, is one NCAA championship game that needs me mentioned and one that I didn't expect the results to be the way they were, but LSU versus Iowa for the women's NCAA turn, uh, championship game. One, I just need to shout her name out because she is the female Hooper of America right now. It's Caitlin Clark. I want to stop you right there. LSU has to get their props first. They were the one. Okay. They won the game. They were give the them, Give them the credit. Go, go get, get say it. First. But you got any names? Uh, Angel Reese. Um, <laughs> I'm kidding. The, Dude, her, mid-range, like, insane, man. I mean, oh, absolutely. The, the I mean, the bench, that because the refs almost, they really tried to take the, the game away from both teams. The, a lot of the starters for both um, LSU and Iowa were kind of in foul trouble. Kaitlin Clark, like you mentioned, was in foul trouble. Angel Reese was in cloud foul trouble. Alexis Morris was in foul trouble in that first half. But it was really came down to that bench because Jasmine Carson had like 21 points, I think, in the first half. She was seven for seven from the field, had a buzzer beater three at halftime. I mean, I just thought it was going to be over from that point. But like you mentioned, Caitlin Clark being who she is, she gave Iowa a fighting chance at that sometime in that second half. It was got pretty close. It got down to, I think, like seven. But, I mean, Angel Reese actually kind of meant she – and one thing she said in her, like, after-game uh, interview was kind of like it's not a one-man show over there or a one-woman show there in LSU. They, Kaylin Clark is kind of like is Iowa's entire offense. And so – She scored 67 she – she either scored or assisted on 67% of their points all season. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's kind of insane. And LSU just from top to bottom, they had – a bench player scored 22 points, a starter scored 21, another starter scored 20, Angel Reese had 15 and 10 rebounds. So, I mean, they're just – that was a pretty complete team and uh, the better team at the end of the day won, even though Iowa did have the best player. Because in my opinion, there's a lot of talks going around around right now, but Kaitlin Clark is the best um, women's basketball player I've ever seen in my life. Me too. I mean, in my entire existence. Literally. Yeah, Yeah, um, congratulations to LSU and Angel Reese. You know, I think they also said that it was the first pair of cousins to win the national championship on the men's side and the national championship on the women's side. Angel Reese and what's the guy from UConn? I can't think of his name. Somebody was from Maryland, the DMV. Yeah, Yeah. they're both from, yeah. yeah. That's just, that was so cool. And just seeing how the adversity that Angel Reese and that entire LSU team kind of faced throughout the season how they were talked about because of their appearance or the way that they carried themselves, being able to do this and hearing her say that this was for this was for little girls that looked like her. That that literally like 
even though I'm not I'm not a girl, obviously, but yeah. you know, just seeing how she could be that role model for different individuals, you know, that was that was pretty amazing to me. Yeah, and Angel Reese had needed to fight some adversity. She was one of the top three players in her class coming out of high school, and then not really getting that spotlight like she needed at Maryland, and then transferring to LSU, and then in one year at LSU, able to guide them to a national championship. Very impressive. Um, but the, I don't think this is the last time we'll see Caitlin Clark. I think she'll be back for her senior season, and I think we're destined to see her. You know probably put her uh title run this year in the dust and you know make some improvements but but yeah i mean shout out to both teams very hardworking teams and you know hopefully we can get that same kind of energy again next year i also want to give a shout out to lsu's coach kim mulkey for her just her outfits dude her specifically because she's i mean it's insane she's dressed like she comes she looks like Russell Westbrook out there. If Russell Westbrook was an uh, yeah. uh, women's NCAA coach, it would be Kim Mulkey. Like if she was ready to party as soon as the game was over, yeah. like go out. <laughs> Dude, I, I turned that game on. I didn't really know when I saw it. It was a shot of the coach, and I was like, I really hope that's not Iowa's coach, bro, because they're getting blown out. <laughs> She's dressed like this. Like, oh, no. Um, but one thing I have to say, I mean, I'm, okay, we gave everyone credit to LSU. LSU, you're ballers. Okay, go Tigers. You did great. Caitlin Clark, though, just a message to all. I mean, I'm going to say right now. I w- watching her highlights, watching her play, I keep saying to myself out loud, I say, this woman is changing the complete nation's perspective on women's basketball and the talent that they have. It And it, it, it's probably just the same as effect as, you know, like this, she's literally proving the 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 mindset wrong that like you know girls basketball may not be as fun to watch and that's what some fans may believe but no it literally is and Caitlin Clark she's shooting half court bombs she was the first player to ever score forty points back to back games in NCAA history with a triple double with a triple double she had a hundred percent of those fourth quarter points in that game with the triple double and I mean I'm just watching her and the way that she can just do pull up threes and everything she she had one of the best title runs I saw since Steph Curry in in the men's NCAA tournament uh, with Davidson. And I, I just, I, I don't know. I just feel like she was doing amazing things. And I'm watching her and I'm seeing the comments in the in these comment sections on these YouTube videos of her highlights. And they're like, I've never watched w- women's basketball in my life, but I would watch every game if she was on TV. And that is literally the change for the WNBA. They've been looking for, how are they going to make more money? How are things going to change in the WNBA? It's just that you need more talent. You need more viewership. And I'm telling you, if you have someone like Caitlin Clark, going up there and splashing threes. That's what fans want to see nowadays. I, I mean, that's truthfully what basketball fans love. And, I mean, if she's doing that and she does it at a high rate and she goes into the WNBA, I mean, it could change the complete league, I yeah, would say. The, the entire la- landscape of it, not only her, but players like Aaliyah Boston from South Carolina, players like Angel Reese from LSU, yeah. you know. It's I'm, not just a one-man, one-woman oh, show. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. The future of the WNBA is bright. Yeah, I mean, in next season, we ha- kind of on an off note, Paige Beckers, I don't know if y'all remember her yeah, from UConn. I was about to say, yeah, yeah, she's gone through two knee injuries in back to back years. So getting to see her back on that court is going to be something. I mean, she's been a very special player since she got to UConn, and her, her getting that opportunity to come back will be very special. I mean, UConn women's basketball is like the Duke of women's yeah, basketball. Oh, no, definitely. They're everywhere. Haley Van Leith out in Louisville. There's a lot of girls. And then another thing, there's so many good girls, and there's a lot of competitiveness between them. Like, if, yeah, there's if, if you're on these games, there's a lot of chatter and chit chat between a lot of them between like um Caitlin Clark and even before the championship I remember Caitlin Clark and Haley Van Leith were kind of going back and forth and then in the championship game Angel Reese and Caitlin Clark were kind of going back and forth and so that I mean that's there's a lot of people obviously it seems like 
kind of only re- really have a problem with it when so with with one of them, but that's kind of another story. But I, as someone who enjoys all of it, I love the trash talk. I love the just that just shows how competitive those women are and just how much they love the game because I mean, there's never ever really a problem with men trash talking each other. So as long as it's as long as it stays within on the court, there's nothing like it goes. Nobody says anything and it's too crazy or that no one's act out there actually fighting each other. I mean, it's I think it's healthy for the game. You know, I feel like if we look at both these tournaments that we've seen, you know, the men's one and the women's one that just happened, I felt like there actually was more trash talk and more chippiness in the women's team. I mean, women's tournament, because those girls, I mean, if you watch, I mean, they're playing their hearts out. Same thing with the men's as well, but it's just like they can get really physical. And those, I feel like women's basketball is very physical. People don't understand. No, there was. They're in the paint constantly, elbows being thrown, you know. The women's was way more exciting than the men's. I remember, okay, it might have gotten almost a little physical. I remember Texas and Louisville, Louisville, uh, Haley Van Leith and Texas one guard were kind of going, and they had some words for each other after the game or. Uh, and so, didn't I mean, they throw a ball and miss or something I, like that? I don't know if I didn't see. I don't know if there was a ball thrown. I just know there were words exchanged and uh, post game. Yeah, from post oh, yeah. games, if if the disrespect continued, what would happen? And uh, so, I mean, some so, 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 I mean, I guess it can't get a little it. out of hand, but I love it. I love it. like right, Thomas. It's so it's just it's competitive. They all know at the end of the day, they they love it. They love the game, and that's all they're really playing and fighting for. And because of that, this was the number one viewed uh, WNCA tournament we've ever had. And Definitely. I mean, hopefully, this just means more for what can what is yet to come and what this can build on. And I mean, I think I saw something where like the tickets, like the tickets for the games, um, the Final Four, like theirs was more expensive because of what what Caitlin Clark and Angel Re- Angel Reese brought to this you know tournament. So yeah, I mean, hopefully, this is just something that can be built upon and you know bring more down the future. Yeah, putting some. Numbers behind that $446 was the cheapest ticket yeah. for the championship game and that peak viewership was 9.9 million well the average viewership for that the peak was actually 12.6 million you know at the highest point but I mean that is like the, I think I saw a post it was saying that was more than the 2021 NBA finals 2020 World Series you know that that's just dude yeah record-breaking numbers for sure that's crazy but i'm telling you i'm i'm watching these players go back and forth and i mean angel reese she's doing things in the in the mid-range that I, i've never seen i mean she's doing great but then caitlin clark i mean i'm watching her i'm like i want to watch this person play every game of the season i mean this person and, and it's funny you hear from her dad i know we're talking about this for a while but her dad was like growing up I kept putting her in different leagues, but none of them were she was too good for them. So she had to put her, he put his daughter in a men's AU league or whatever. So, I mean, Caitlin Clark is just, she has out, she's outpacing them with energy and shooting throughout the entire game. Um, I mean, their last game they played against South Carolina before they went, you know, to Iowa. Oh, was it South Carolina or North Carolina? South Carolina. They played South yeah, Carolina the, for the championship. Yeah, okay. Good. South Carolina was on like a, 36 game win streak. Yeah, it was like and she stopped it seasons. like nothing. Yep. And but the one thing I'd say in that LSU game, the reason why they lost it is because Iowa center could not make a free throw to save her life. And uh, you know she was getting down there, and every time LSU the ball would get down there, LSU would be like just foul her, just, just foul her, and she's not going to make those free throws. And if you have a big that's not putting the ball in the net when they're getting fouled, then you know that's going to you know bite you. Foul trouble for Caitlin Clark as well. She couldn't play as much. She had four fouls already like before the second half. So um, just. Uh, but a fun, very, very fun tournament run and just great future for NCAA women's <coughs> basketball. And, you know, I'm excited to see what Tech State's future for the NCAA women's basketball is going to be like because, you know, there's a new team coming up. But we can save that for later. 
But let's talk about, uh, you know, seasons finishing up for uh, a few basketball teams, and that's national basketball teams. NBA is wrapping up. I got two Lakers fans in this room right now, and, you know, if we have to follow, like, every other media outlet, and we always talk about LeBron and the Lakers every single time we talk about NBA. Right now, the Lakes show is seventh in the West. They're 40 and 38. One half. A half game back of the sixth seed. That sixth seed is the magic number that we need. We're all, oh, fifth seed as well. Clippers and Warriors are tied for fifth and sixth. Yeah, but I, I really don't want to face the Suns in the first round. Well, here, see, LeBron versus KD, though, that'd yeah, be pretty fun. I, I'd rather play the Kings in the first round. Chris Paul, Absolutely. KD, LeBron, bro, that would be... No, thank you. <laughs> no, thank you. Okay, no. by the way, is AD injured right now or not? I, you he, know, no, sometimes he is dominating. You know, I don't know. It's like, you know, you don't know if it's like high tide or low tide in the middle of the day. Like AD probably three times a day he either gets injured, not injured, injured, not injured. AD, he rolled his ankle against the, um, the Timberwolves, and he was like visibly yeah. in pain. They should get like a trainer to like stay in his room in the we're morning gonna, to make we're, sure he steps We're not going to okay. let this Anthony Davis Lander <laughs> yeah, uh, stand. We're gonna, <laughs> let, let's let's uh, count out Anthony Davis' last three games. Bed, okay. 40 points, 9 rebounds. 38 points, 17 rebounds. 38 points, 9 rebounds. And even the game before that, 37 points, 15 rebounds. There How many a, of those are free throws? There was a 15-point game in the middle uh, of there. But, I mean, he's been dominating in the time where the Lakers need him to. So, I mean... There can't be a single Laker fan who's upset with him right now. Absolutely. I mean, oh, in, in his 40-point game, it couldn't have been that many free throws. He made 15 field goals, so that's 30 points alone. So maybe 10 points from the free throw line. It's not that bad. Yeah, I'm going to be pretty disappointed if this Mavericks team doesn't make it, though, because <laughs> I, I really wanted to see a Suns-Mavericks uh, kind of go at it again, getting Definitely. to see what the, what the Suns with KD now and kind of how they've reshaped their future to kind of mold with this win now with KD <laughs> mentality. So, I mean... The Mavericks team, they whenever they got um, to Kyrie, they were predicted 96% chance to make the playoffs, and now they're sitting at a 6% chance with two games left. They're going to need some teams to lose. They're going to need the Thunder to lose a few games, and really they're just going to have to hope and pray that you know they can get in there. But, I mean, yeah, that was, a, that was a series I was looking forward to, and it looks like we may not get it now, which is pretty disappointing. Yeah, it sucks because I definitely would much prefer the Mavericks to be in over the Thunder, the Timberwolves, also, and the Pelicans. And Luka is one of the just most exciting players to watch. And then, yeah, if they could find a way to match up against the Suns, that'd be a great series again. I mean, Luka's, he kind of dominate he kind of dominates them, and, but they kind of ran and got KD, so that would be who knows how that would end. But, I mean, it's kind of it's since they – I don't know what kind of the – what the problem is since getting Kyrie – well, I kind of do know the problem because they sh- he wasn't the right fit for them just because scoring offensively like Luka can handle that, and that wasn't their problem. They needed they don't play any defense. They needed somebody to go out there and get stops and kind of anchor them defensively, not a, just someone who kind of who can score by himself but just takes the ball out of Luka's hands. That's not what they kind of need. He has the, Luka's their leader and. Offensively, they've tried a lot of different things. They've gotten him shooters. They've gotten him big men. They've gotten him another guard like this. I feel like they need to kind of change and like let him handle the offensive side and kind of anchor the defensive side around something else. Yeah, and I feel like the defensive side kind of always roots from the coach. And I think what we're noticing now is Jason Kidd hasn't really ever had a successful stint as a head coach. Yeah. I mean, what we were seeing before was really just Luca taking over, and it's kind of the same old thing. Anytime it's you know one minute left in the game, who's got the ball in their hands? And I mean, you knew it was Luca. 
I really think this is a Jason Kidd problem. I think this will be an issue that, you know, Mark Cuban and the Mavericks take a look at after the season, especially if they don't make the playoffs. I think that'll be like a for sure thing. You can't have two of the top players in the league and maybe one of the best players in the league, in my opinion, Luka, and not make the playoffs. I mean, that just can't really stand. But, I mean, yeah, that that's just where I think the root of the problem issue is from. I mean, I know a lot of people want to put that on Kyrie, but, I mean, when a guy plays like Kyrie, I mean, I don't really want to put the blame on him. I mean, he's he's a ball-dominant player, and, I mean, he can put the ball in the hoop, and that's all you really can ask for. Yeah, Kyrie Irving, he's great, but at the same time, not only you just can't say that his gameplay on the court. I'm a, I'm a Kyrie Irving. I respect his game and everything. I'm not an enthusiast of him, but um, it also extends off the court as well, and a lot of the distractions or so-called distractions – that could have an effect on the team as well. So especially inside of practice, we don't know what's going on inside of practice. We know how the media follows him, though. That's going to be a given anywhere that he goes. And so a team like the Mavericks, who are maybe not equipped to handle the scrutiny that comes with him, you know, it's reflecting on the court. You have Luka Doncic, he's balling. But both of these players are defensive liabilities. As superstars, you have to be able to play defense, and neither of these players excel at that. They're both offensive superstars, but... When you get down to the nitty-gritty of the season like we are now, especially potentially going to the playoffs, you have to be able to play defense, and the Mavericks can't do that. Yeah, and I agree with JP. It's a, it's more of a coaching thing because if you just look at Jason Kidd's just kind of record as a coach, he was it's clearly he was – I mean, I, I don't know what he was saying in his interviews and his meetings, but I don't know if he'd be having the job if he wasn't Jason Kidd, the point guard, just because if you look at his record – as a coach, he was 44 and 38 his first season, 41 and 41 second season, 33 and 49, 42 and 40. Um, he got fired halfway through the next season, but was only 23 and 22. And then his this is his best stint uh, coaching wise as a Maverick. He went 52 and 30 last year, but then now this year he has a losing record and is back at 37 and 42. And and last year was Luca just going being Luca, so I don't even want to give him credit for b- winning 52 games because he's never done that before. And so I, I feel like Jason Kidd is really the problem there. He hasn't uh-huh. been able to do anything anywhere he's been. He's kind of just been riding yeah. off the career of his playing his playing days. Now, okay. Hey, okay. hey, let me get a point okay. in this real quick. Y'all yeah. been talking Mavs all day. I'm gonna I'm gonna put some Mavs in there as well. This is what I want to say. This 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 season, right before Kyrie came, it was the Luca show, and Luca had the momentum. This team was Luca's team, and this team was probably around the fifth seed, fifth fifth sixth seed, fourth seed area, and then Kyrie joins. And you know, most people will be like, "Well, why was Kyrie added in this situation? Do we need another superstar?" That could be Mark Cuban not having just trust that Luca could do it all by himself, and he's been hearing scrutiny. We need someone else. We need someone else. But this is what I think. I think when you added Kyrie there, you generated a question. You generated a question on who is going to have that ball when it matters most. How are these players supposed to play now? When Luka, if you're a superstar and you're the only player on your team that's a superstar, you play like that superstar. You don't question yourself. No one's questioning you. No one's thinking maybe it should go to this person. Now Kyrie's there. Both of these players are definitely great basketball players, but you have to realize how these personalities are. Kyrie Irving may not be able to mold right with Luca. The offense may not be able to mold right. Jason Kidd may not be able to coach two superstars like this. He may not know what he's doing. There's a different definitely a million different factors that play into this, but I think before Kyrie was there, Luca knew 
And I know Luca, like anyone else, is able to give up the reins. I know he's a young player. He could do that. But Kyrie, I feel like he is just a player. Kyrie is just great at playing basketball. He'll be great at playing basketball for the rest of his life. But is he a team player? Is he a winner? Is he an athlete that is willing to mold and willing to step back in his role? He's getting old now. You need to learn how to step back, be a facilitator, be a role player, be like Andrew Iguodala. You know, that's someone to role model for his age. Just kidding. I know Kyrie's a little younger than him. But, you know, I don't know. Is that take hot? Well, I mean, he's Kyrie is a champion, and he's. You can't won. even wait to hear what my Lakers point is. I have the oh. hottest Laker take oh, you're gonna ever hear. We'll get to that it's, later, it's I guess. Steamy. But, but I mean, Luca. I mean, Kyrie. In terms of Kyrie, he's been on a championship team before. Granted, it was with LeBron James, but at this point in his career, Luca. I mean, I think I don't think he's as good as LeBron James, but he is one of the best players in the league. So he's shown that he could lead a team. So I feel like I just as in, I don't think offensive wise, that's their problem. I just think there's nobody on that team that can play any defense. Like if you look back at that championship Cavs team, they were playing great defense against that Warriors team, and they were able to get stops and guard their best players the same way. Like they were like you know, Kyrie in that um, finals that they won. Kyrie Irving outplayed Steph Curry. I mean, he was they were guarding each other, and Kyrie Irving, he completely outplayed him. So, I mean, at the end of the day, he's just – they're really just going to have to play defense. And whenever they didn't have him uh, that one year, they lost. Yeah. So, I mean, the, Kyrie does play an impactful, you know, force in, you know, on a championship team. The only – and the last thing I'll say about this Mavericks team is that I, I hear all of you harping on Jason Kidd, but – at the same time, let's let's just go back. We remember when he was the head coach of the Milwaukee Bucks. I believe at one point they went 60 and 22. They won 60 regular season games. That is not an easy thing. You can fact check me on that, but you it know, might be I, Mike though, is it not Mike Budenholzer? He he's won some games too, Mike Budenholzer too. But Jason Kidd, although he didn't have any playoff success, mm-hmm. you know, he was able to win at least some regular season games with the Milwaukee Bucks. But alas, you know. He wasn't able to get it done in his playoffs, therefore he had to get the boot. Now, coming to the Lakers as an assistant coach, he that was the year, that was 2020 when they won the NBA championship. Now, I know he wasn't the head coach then, but still being able to have that positive effect in the locker room and everything like that. And then we look, too, in the years past where they, um, what is this, his second or third year as the Mavericks coach? Second. Second. Second, okay. Last year, uh, yeah. I don't know if it's coaching, guys. That's what so I'm much more that goes into a team. There's right. GMs and players, right. and I mean, and you talked about distractions earlier. This kind of goes outside of you know the, the the actual basketball court. But Kyrie isn't signed after this year. He's basically can just up and leave. And this is a this is a risk taken by the Mavericks team. You know, they gave away I think only two first rounders, which isn't that bad for a player like Kyrie. But you know, I mean, definitely a risk and uh, you know high risk, high reward. But I mean, if if they can't make it to the playoffs, I mean. Kyrie could just jump ship again, and I know he always likes to say, you know, I like, I, play, I like to stay here, you know, finish my career here, you know, like the Paul George thing, but, <laughs> I mean, this he could easily walk up and leave if this isn't the right situation, and, and then the Mavericks really gambled. I mean, they gave up a lot of pieces, Spencer Dinwiddie, a first-rounder. I mean, although be it some, you know, far down the line first-rounders, but, but still, I mean, definitely a distraction for this team as, you know, they're trying to make a playoff push. And Don't actually, you remember, I mean, oh, all right, I kind of got to mention this. That year, the Bucks won sixty games. Was the year after getting after firing okay. Jason Kidd? Okay. okay. Yeah. What I was gonna say though is that um, 
thing. I just and then they're just the guy they replaced him with, Mike Budenholzer, won Coach of the Year that same year. Great coach, great definitely. So my shades are on because I'm gonna say something very controversial. Very, uh, it's kind of like an NBA conspiracy, you know, because we're having fun here. Let's hear. And it's about the referees in the NBA. More importantly, I I noticed some statistics I was just gathering here on my computer, but I may be completely weird. That's an iPad. I know. So listen. So, say for example, if I was the team that paying the refs in the NBA, what would I pay them to give me to do? Like, I, you'd want me, I'd want to shoot free throws, right? If I was paying refs, I'd want to shoot free throws, right? Probably. Like, to give free shots, right? Do you know who's leading the team in free throws right now? Leading the league? In leading the league in free throws. What team? Oh, it's the, the Lakers. Lakers. You know, and and they've, and okay, but wait, wait, wait. Before we get into the numbers, so if I'm paying the refs, right, I obviously want to give free throws, right? But do I want to get fouls called against myself? No. Guess who's dead last in personal fouls in the, all the NBA? Wait, Justin Avalon. The Los Angeles Lakers. They're dead last. And they are last place as well among home games out of any other team. Justin Avalon. Very interesting. Is there a team? Does a team Crypto Arena. Does a team lead the league in free throws every year? There's some. Well, there's a team that leads. Is that. Does the team that lead the league in free throws every year, is that the team that's paying the refs? Or is it just this year? I don't year know, but if they're the leading the league in free throws and then also their last, last place yeah. in personal fouls. But how are they still fighting for a playoff spot? You know what I'm saying? Like, <laughs> with like you got all the... Uh, oh, I Justin. don't know. Oh, Justin. Oh, Justin. Because <laughs> like, if they're getting all these opportunities and they're still I don't know. seventh... Uh, I want. I wish I had. It's a very to. hot take. That's why I got the glasses on, so you don't know my identity. But it's a great stat, though. I mean, I gotta go tell it to my Lakers friends after this, too. Yeah. Yeah. I wish I had the st- advanced statistics for <laughs> drives per game, points in the paint per game. Yeah. But I believe, just off the top of my head, the Los Angeles Lakers lead that category. We all know because they're a good jump shooting team, so they have to drive the ball inside. They're gonna get fouled when you have guys like LeBron and AD. Now. Answer this for me, Justin. Where are them two in that? Not even them, LeBron specifically. Where is he in that? Exactly. LeBron James, I believe I saw a statistic. He's only averaging 5.6 free throws per game. LeBron James. This is the same LeBron James that we know to drive inside, you know, the bulldozer. Yeah. I think he's top 10 in points per game without free throws. Uh, the, I saw some ESPN thing on that. One of the things with LeBron, he uh, being a LeBron fan, uh, he doesn't get fouls called a lot. And a lot of things, a lot of teams like – a lot of the argument towards that is that later in his career he's dr- he starts driving less. Um, like when you like we, I try to compare him to players who are still driving a lot, and that's kind of the argument. They're like, oh well, he's not driving as much as him, and that's kind of what I want to say about the Lakers right now. They they're driving the ball a lot right now. If you watch a Lakers game, they don't shoot well from the three, other than Troy Brown and Malik Beasley. They're kind of if everyone else is kind of spotty, so there's a lot of drives and a lot of people do get free throws, but I mean LeBron does not benefit benefit so, from that at all. Trey Young is getting more free throws no, per y- game. Yeah, than Giannis Antetokounmpo is the leader in free throws with 12 free throws per game, but right behind him is the the most misleading MVP in NBA history, Joel Embiid, the man that everyone thinks has a bag but averages over 11 free throws a game. And he's been doing his entire career. Um, he just okay. Now that's just so disrespectful to say. Love Joel Embiid, very hot take, but I believe that he doesn't have a bag. Sometimes you look at him and he just looks like he just picked up a basketball three years ago, and he's just so awkward in the paint that people can't help but foul the man. I mean, the guy he's, he's moving, he's yeah. built like a brick house. I I'll, mean, say, I'll say this. So I mean, he averages around thirty points. So 
And if he's if eleven he, of those are free throws. If ten of them or ten or eleven of them are free throws. That means twenty of them aren't. So I mean, twenty points is still great. So it's five points in a quarter. I mean, yeah, that's as the, as the MVP. I mean, that's the thing. And, uh, if you want to take away his free throws, you got to take away everyone else's free throws. Oh, so and Harden so, as well. I so mean, he might be shooting good. eleven, but any like Jokic or somebody is shooting seven or eight. So they're not. So it's not like it's only a couple more points from the free throw line. And yeah. when when you say like it's because the MVP race right now is only between. It's got to be between him and Jokic, and Jokic might have more of a bag per se, but Jokic plays no defense. Yeah. You know, Joel Embiid is a he he might he, he might not have a bag in your opinion, but he puts points on the board as well as completely locks down the paint as as and as well as just other he's players huge. superstars. So I yeah. mean, he's I, in my opinion, I don't see how he couldn't be the MVP when he dominates on both ends of the floor. Yeah, I was disappointed that uh, Joel Embiid wasn't able to play in that um, in that Nuggets game that they yeah. had because I mean that would have been kind of able to show how uh, Jokic doesn't have really that defensive presence. You know, because I think the last time they played, he had 40 points on him. So, I mean, this is a head-to-head MVP race, and not getting to kind of show his talent against a Jokic might have cost him, you know, that MVP because Jokic has more of that, you know, resume right now. He's got the number one team in the West, and the West is stacked. I mean, the West is absolutely stacked, and it's ridiculous. But we'll have to see if he can, you know, make a playoff push. Go Grizzlies. (laughs) JP, I want to ask you, though. We talk about, you know, the Nuggets being ahead of the um, Western Conference and. Nikola Jokic doing some great things almost. I think he needs like 42 assists to average a triple-double this year. That's that's amazing. But at the same time, Giannis Adekakumbo is averaging 32 points a game over, I think, 11 rebounds per game. And his team is number one overall atop the NBA. So where is the argument yeah. for him to be the MVP? Yeah, I mean, if I was a betting man, the, the best odds are probably on Giannis because, I mean, like, he's a, he's a sleeper on, on the, this one. I mean, you know, kind of, a, you know, hidden in the East over there. You know, some, there's only really a few teams in the East that you can consider, like, championship contending teams at this point, at least in my opinion. But, yeah, I mean, I totally agree. There's a three-man race. I think there's one man who probably deserves it if he gets to average a triple-double. But, you know, I, d- I totally agree with you. Giannis definitely needs to be more in that conversation. Giannis Antetokounmpo and the Milwaukee Bucks. I mean, I, I'm gonna be honest with you right now. I, I, every year in the East, I just give it to the Bucks because the what they have with the coaching staff there, Middleton, Antetokounmpo, Drew, Drew Holiday. Holiday playing like he's the star on the team now. I mean, it's like what they are doing in Milwaukee is the closest thing to what they did in Chicago during the '90s. I mean, they drafted players, they crafted them, they made sure they turned out to be good, and that's what this team is. They won a championship because of it. I love what Giannis and Middleton are doing. They're the modern-day Pippen and MJ. And I think that that team, I'm going to be honest with you, they're going all the way to the Eastern Finals. 76ers, they'll never be able to do it with Harden. I love Harden. You're my fave. You're my homie. But you're never going to be able to do it. I'm sorry. He just doesn't have it in him anymore. I could bet all my – I'd sell a house and put it on that statement. That's how dead, dead sure I am. Of that statement. He that must have hurt you in Houston really bad. He hurt you. No, he did because <laughs> like, he wore that, that fat suit. You don't even understand. He wore that fat suit. That was not him, man. He was, was not that. eating that yeah. much food, bro. That was a fat suit. He was just never mind. I'm I'm gonna I was gonna say I'm very, very mean to James Harden, but we're gonna we're gonna hold that back. But I think this is all the time we had today, guys. Did everyone have a fun time? Definitely. Any any message to the fans? Any anything at all? 
Just keep tuning in. Keep supporting us. We got some yeah. great stuff coming up for you. Register guys. for classes if you haven't already. I need to Definitely. do that. Oh, see, look at my staff here, Slacking. Well, <laughs> that's all the time we have here for today. Make sure and tune in next week. We're glad to have this episode on camera so you can see our wonderful faces. But follow KTSW Sports on Instagram and Twitter to stay up to date with Texas State and San Marcos Sports. And make sure and follow our, subscribe to our YouTube channel and turn on that notification so you get updated when we make a new one. But for Justin Brown, J.P. Flanagan, Thomas Terry, and Orlando, we'll see you later and catch you next time.